Hey, it's Ryan Rosillo for the Ryan Rosillo Podcast. A lot to get to today, but first, everyone knows about the risk of driving drunk. You can get crashed, people could get hurt or killed, but that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested, you could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Okay, we just got news. This is Thursday morning out on the West Coast that the NBA playoffs are going to resume, according to Woj. But I want to talk about what happened this week, and that is specifically Wednesday, with the three playoff games not happening because it started with the Milwaukee Bucks saying, we're not playing against the Orlando Magic. Boycott, strike, sitting it out, whatever you want to call it. But I believe there's almost no statement that exists that can't be deconstructed for people to try to make it mean something else. But in this case, on Wednesday, I think it is the rare example that this really doesn't mean anything other than NBA players aren't just giving us a sentence. They're making a statement with their act of not playing to try to get us to all pay attention in a way that maybe some of us haven't paid attention to in the past. Yes, we could do the very simple, okay, but what's really going to change in the next couple of days? The answer is probably not a ton or I don't know. But that's not the point. That wasn't really the point of the exercise. Um, I've heard, I've had friends say, okay, why do these players think they have it so bad? The fact that they make this much money and they have it so good and this bothers them so much, shouldn't that mean something to you? Because I know in the past when I've looked at some people's social activism being nothing more than a retweet or a clever hoodie, well, in this case, we have NBA players, multi-multi-millionaires who are in the playoffs right now deciding okay, that's not more important to us. We actually don't want to play until some of these issues are not resolved because I think timeline-wise, that's not exactly realistic, but at least heading in a direction that makes us feel better about the rest of the season. That's real. Uh, that, that's something that you have to understand when you're giving up or sacrificing personal glory, team glory, or hundreds of millions of dollars in salary. Now, I remember when the Kaepernick story first came up, one of the great moments at ESPN where you have these little reminders where the job, yeah, it could be frustrating and all that stuff, but really what it was about was some of the experiences and relationships that you would build. I'm in the green room. We're all getting ready to go on Sports Center, and there's a bunch of ex-athletes out there. I'm not including myself in that group. White guys, black guys, and we're talking about Kaepernick, and I had my turn, and, and one of the former black athletes said, okay, Priscilla, but guess what? Like, which, which possible way could a black athlete get you to pay attention, respect the way he's doing it, and maybe get you to change your thinking a little bit? And I was like, man, like I could throw a bunch of stuff at you, but your initial point's the right one. Like I can't really get out of this riddle. And that's the point. It's to jolt us. It's to get us to pay attention. It's to get us thinking a little bit differently or have me do a podcast where I didn't expect that I was going to be doing this as I was getting ready to take notes on the Rockets and the Thunder. Um, I also think it's really important at least for me, as someone that, I, look, I'm not going to bullshit anybody here. I'm not always aligned 100% with every argument that is out there on either side. I'm just not. And sometimes that can, that can be dangerous, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to do that just because I love basketball. But I do know this. If there are players that didn't want to play, I support the players. I would never, I wouldn't think it privately. I wouldn't do it publicly. I wouldn't sit there and think, I can't believe these guys didn't come back and play. There's something I was thinking about as I was going through all the different ways that I want to talk about this. And, you know, my dad and I are very close. He is uh, somebody I have incredible amount of respect for. And he, you know, would teach me about Bill Russell and he would tell me these stories and I'd go back and watch the clips and I would remember I'd first start getting into it and I'd, I'd look at the box scores and then I'd start reading about him more and I'd be like, man, this guy dealt with a ton of bullshit in Boston and this guy's like a different level of, of man. Like this is a man's man and he's a leader. And then I'd read about Muhammad Ali and I would talk with my father about it and he was about the same age and talk about the war, like what was going on at that time? How did you feel about it? And all these different things. Okay, I'm sorry that, you know, maybe there's not more, maybe I need more culture, but I'm just sharing with you a simple example of, of reading about these two athletes, many, two of the many black athletes that I've, I've spent most of my life, you know, in awe of. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. If you don't have an open mind about what's going on with the NBA playoffs and you're a total fucking hypocrite to sit there with your book collection and pretend you know what's up. And I know that I don't really know what's up, but I also know this, is that as a white guy that continues to have opinions about black players for the rest of my career, when it comes to contracts, trades, who's a good fit with who, I'm, I'm good to go. I feel like I can hang with anybody. But I also know that I just don't want to tell black people how to feel about social issues anymore, and certainly not in this case. And look, man, I think you guys know I love basketball. I love it. 
I don't know that there'll be anything other than breathing that I do more of. And whether it's watching, talking about it, attempting to play back in the day, basketball is, is the number one thing in my life. And I don't love it so much that I would want hundreds of players to continue to play in a game that they don't want to play in because they're pissed off. Okay, we're going to talk with uh, Roger Bell about this and more. Okay, we're going to bring in Roger Bell, longtime NBA vet, and I'm really excited about this. I'm excited that he's part of the ringer. I remember he came by. When, were, when did you come by ESPN to do those radio hits? That was over 10 years ago. I that know that. Yeah, it was, man. But that was kind of like me understanding that I liked it, right? Like it was it was great that uh, I got to do it because I felt like at that point it would it interested me enough where I might want to do it post-career. So it was great experience. Yeah, and you immediately were like really good at it because a lot of times you'd have guys come in and you go, eh, I don't know, maybe. I mean, it's a really tough business for ex-athletes because no one really coaches you. They just sort of throw you out there to see, hey, can you do it? Can you not do it? And you weren't even done. And when you left, people were like, "Man, Raj is really good." So I'm I'm thrilled to have you be part of the Ringer, man. Um, man appreciate that. I want to we'll have we'll have some fun stuff a little bit later on, but let's start with the news. What was your reaction once you realized the players weren't playing yesterday? Um, you know, I I was surprised and I wasn't surprised. Like I knew there was going to be some kind of reaction. I I was I guess I was more surprised that Milwaukee kind of did it and hadn't really like clued anybody into the fact that they were going to do it. Um, that was the most surprising part. But I, I knew there was going to be some kind of reaction. The fact that they hadn't aligned and everybody wasn't kind of on the same page was was interesting to me. Yeah, I saw that after the fact, but I really like that. It felt like people at least publicly were understanding. Um, because, you know, if you're going to sit there and say, well, Milwaukee should have told the rest of the teams, or now they put the pressure on the rest of the teams and the rest of the players. In that moment, that's not really what it was about. So I've, I've read some of it. It's almost like the, the player, another player or source would be hinting at a complaint, but you know, all right, you can't do that. You can't do that right now and say, well, the, the better way to execute this, because it felt like it was very emotional, and it felt clearly like it was last minute. Corver was in uniform. Yeah. So unless they didn't tell Corver, um, this, this had to be something that they were deciding right before they were taking the tip. Yeah, I I liked the fact, like, honestly, I've heard a lot of takes and, and you know, I see, I was surprised because the NBA always does things, you know, kind of collectively like that. Like, it's the way they want to march uh, in lockstep. But I actually liked, I felt like it was more authentic. I thought that it was more poignant that they, they were like, look, we were preparing to play this game and we know Orlando's on the court, but we ain't coming out. Like, I thought that had an effect. And then, you know, a more visceral kind of like, oh shit, this is happening type of effect. And then, you know, they've, they got together and they kind of, you know, figured out how to close ranks and, and, and do what the NBA normally does, which is move forward kind of together as a group. But I actually thought that it was a better move to kind of just smack everybody in the face with, look, we haven't talked about this, but as a team, as this, as a representative of the state where this took place, like we ain't, we're not with it. And this is what we're going to do. What would you have been like you think if you were in the locker room if you're playing right now and you're playing for the bucks because i mean there's a bunch of different ways to look at it hey older guy championship team non-championship team but there's a lot of different things that you'd have to balance but how do you think you'd handle it yeah I, you know i was i was going over that this morning with like you know where people fall in their careers uh you know in terms of not just financially but like whether you've even been on a roster long enough to solidify yourself as a real so i so i referenced like my 2001 nba uh finals run with the sixers like i was on a 10 day so if we were going to stop playing those playoffs prior to me getting a, being able to play in game 7 of the eastern conference finals i probably don't have a career right so i'm thinking of it from like different perspectives but I, in that locker room, with what's going on in the country, with with um, the movement that's been taking place, with the with the momentum that's been building, um, I think I, I would have definitely been in support of us not going out there to play. Like it's too big um, of a, of an issue. It's affecting um, too many of our, our our young black men and women. Like it, it, it had to be done. So I would have been I would have been in lockstep with them. What do you think the owners should be doing? Ah. Uh, uh, listening, um, I, I, you know, I don't, what they should do. I don't know. I, I think that, um, if they, they've done a good job so far of, of at least publicly saying they want to partner with, with the players and, and, you know, I know the million dollars from every owner for the $300 million total over 10 years is a good start. Um, you know, but now they need to, to really listen and they are the ones that can, 
in most scenarios, reach out and touch um, your your politicians, like your governors and 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 the people that can really affect change. Like I, I couldn't make a call and reach the governor of Florida, like Ron DeSantis. I can't do that, but ownership can do that. Um, you know, in different states. So I, I think that it's time for them to really listen. And if they if they are, um, or if they want to be part of the change and want to be part of the the collective movement, then listen and then use your influence to help, help make the change, like make the calls that you need to make that, that some of the guys in the NBA or NFL or MLB can't make. It can seem like it's just a 24 hour stream of, of awareness of conversation, a lot of, you know, non-conversation that's just straight up nasty. But it, it, I guess the point that I'm making is it can seem almost like all consuming. When, but when you played were you guys talking about this as much? Were how often did this come up in discussion that what was going on in in just all of these different social issues? No, you know that's the it's it's real it's the interesting part, right? Like this is normal for me. Um, so when I played, it was normal for us to talk about an experience that I had just had with a cop in Utah pulling me over uh, because my rims were too big or like being stopped on South Beach and having my my car taken away and and because um the tents were too dark like that that it, it's normal life like do you know what i mean so um the when you get pulled over in Utah yeah. you get pulled over in Utah and you're sitting in the car like what goes through your head like you're just going all right i know what this is about yeah, no, yeah well yes but, but you know i and i was having a conversation with a good friend of mine like um you know, I see it through a bunch of different lenses, Ryan. My wife, my wife is white. My in-laws are white. Like I have white family members. Like my friend who was sitting at my dinner table last night, so a white man, forty-seven years old. Like so, like I get it from a different. And what I was saying to him was, you know, how many times have you been pulled over and felt like a pit in your stomach of like uncertainty? And he was like, never. And I was like, no, because you, you didn't do anything wrong. It's a routine traffic stop. And whether you ran a red light or were going too fast or whatever the infraction was traffic-wise, you're pretty secure that that's going to be a relatively benign situation. You go write your ticket, you go about your business, right? I was like, the difference is any single time I see a police officer, and it's real, like I don't, I, I don't know how I should feel about it. There's a pit in my stomach because I don't know. Like I don't. I haven't had a real positive interaction as a as a black man, even when I was the victim of of robberies. Like I haven't had like police take care of that for me. And I'm not saying police are bad. I have police in my family. I think police are great. We need them. I'm just saying it's a different it's a different interaction that I have than a lot of my white male counterparts would have. And so to your to your question, like I'm sitting in that car just hoping that everything goes smoothly, like that this doesn't become a situation where someone's got something to prove and I can't like be nice enough and docile enough to talk my way out of it. It looks like the players are going to come back and play. Um, that's the time people are listening to this as we're taping now. The news is the playoffs are going to resume. I don't have all the details. I don't think any of us do as of right now. But it couldn't an argument be made if it's important to, you know, the, what, what happened on Wednesday was to get all of us to react to get us mm -hmm. talking about it now, you know, to keep the conversation going. I would think that being on two major networks and playing the rest of the playoffs and having moments where you could talk is still more powerful than if the season just ended. I think people would turn the page to football here in less than two weeks, and a lot of the basketball stuff that players care about would likely get lost. I, th I think you're right. I think if you if you – if you decided to boycott the rest of the season, you're basically putting the ball in football's court. Um, and uh, for whatever, like football is a different animal, right? Like it, it, it's not, you don't have the same leverage all the time as football players as you do as basketball players. I think keeping it um, in your court, which is continuing to play and continuing to your point to be on major networks and have people tuned in allows you to have the conversation. So I, I, I think you're right. And it took me a while to get to that point because when I woke up this morning, I was like, man, you know, they need to they need to make a statement, but the statement is better made with the platform that they have playing than it is when all of these guys kind of go back to where they're from um, and and the, the national media kind of tunes it out a little bit. I'll tell you where the media and it's specifically white guys in the media are freaked out is that I think especially those guys that are down there in the bubble, because I've seen this kind of playing out in an argument where it's 
black player wins game, loses game, does his post-game presser, and white guy wants to be respectful, so then he'll ask something about social justice, and then the player has to answer for it, and then I'll see, as this continues to happen, more people are like, I can't believe you're putting these players in a position where they have to answer for all of these things. And I'm just going to tell you right now, at least on the white side of this, it's like, hey, man, a lot of us are just trying not to fuck it up. So we didn't know... Like, am I not supposed to ask you? Because if I don't ask you, does that mean I'm being disrespectful? Or if I do ask you, does that mean that I'm not understanding that you we don't? So I'm not, trust me, I'm not trying to figure out necessarily who's right in the question. I'm just expressing it, knowing that now as it's been a couple of weeks, there has been this bit of back and forth of what's right. And I, I think this might just be a difference of opinion. Um, Look, man, we... <laughs> I had this conversation with one of my ex-teammates who called me. Um, he was my college teammate. He's a really good friend of mine. And, you know, he uh, was asking, like, what he could do. Like, and I was like, you know what, man? I don't envy you in this either, bro. Like, I don't. I don't envy, like, the way you must feel, like, not wanting to just be wrong, to your point. You know what I mean? Like, it, it it's a really weird thing i would just say that most nba guys like just from my perspective when i played like i know you got a job to do bro like and if i want to talk about like a social issue i'm going to talk about it like whether you pose the question to me or not so i would i just would say do your job Holmes. like if you if you ain't got a real good social justice question that you really want the answer to and you're just throwing it to me like just ask me about like why i didn't make that jump shot <laughs> yeah I, I'm not, I'm, I think I'm just throwing that out there only because I've seen it. And again, I, I have no answer. I called a friend and I hate, because I know what happens when a white guy's like, I called one of my black friends because it's like, oh, that's your out card. But I called somebody <laughs> and then I had said, I asked a question and then I heard this total sigh on the other end of the line. And I go, what, what's, what's going on? You're like, I thought you were going to call me and do one of those like, hey, what, what can I do better deals? Yeah. <laughs> like you were going to be like the, 10th person that called me today and i was like oh yeah no i'm like i'm sorry like that's not what i that's not what i was doing i had a legitimate question for you about something it was like oh, okay all right we're cool um let's talk some hoops then yeah let's, let's do let's it let's talk a little basketball the it was funny the way the first honestly game ones played out lakers lose bucks lose you have the clippers at, at one one and the bubble became a bigger factor than i thought it would be and my whole point as this whole shutdown has happened is that I've, I've thought, okay, you're really just going to start picking inferior teams against better teams because the circumstances are different. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense. And yet that's how it felt like we got to the start, but I think things have corrected. So how different has it, have you seen like whether the Clippers energy or the Lakers execution, what happened in the beginning there that maybe threw us off to now, I think we've seen the correction of the better teams playing the way we expected. Um, you know, I, I think it was, kind of a hangover like the bubble obviously has something to do with it in terms of energy right like I, the energy in an nba arena is it's an indescribable thing man when you're coming out there and you're warming up and people are starting to trickle into the building and the juices are flowing like it produces you know an energy for you especially over the course of a hundred games like it's not it's not like humanly possible to be dialed in and ready to go every single night the same way so that 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 uh, effect of the crowd and the, the building helps get you in the right frame of mind. That was lacking. But I think like with the Lakers, I said it when LeBron um, post game, when they locked up the Western conference, like regular season, I was like, I'm worried about them at least in the short term. Cause I'm worried that like there was going to be a collective sigh, maybe not by LeBron, but maybe some of the other people on the team um, take a breath. And the breath is just long enough for you to go out there and lose to Damian Lillard in a red hot Portland team. Right? Like, your mate, your focus was just, it seemed so, fo you seemed so focused on winning the Western Conference regular season that maybe, you know, you were just going to have your eye off the prize. And then with the Clippers, um, they've been like that all year, right? Like they've been, you know, they get up for big games. Um, you know, the Lakers come to town, they're ready to play. And then for the rest of it, Logan, Logan Murdoch, um, you know, says it the best. They, they just feel like they've, done something already like they carry themselves like they've won championships already so it's it wasn't surprising to me to see them come out flat in the playoffs like like Dallas was going to lay down but then it wasn't surprising on the back end to see them bounce back and have the reaction that they did and and really spank Dallas because that's the team that I think and a lot of other people think that they should be when dialed in and locked in 
And Logan Murdoch is your partner on your new podcast that comes out on Mondays, right? No doubt. Yep. Monday mornings. Who did you pick to play in the finals and win the whole thing before the playoffs started? I picked the Bucks. I picked the Lakers uh, to represent in the finals. And I picked the Bucks pre-shutdown um, and obviously pre-bubble. Okay, let's talk Bucks then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what all the numbers are. The Orlando thing never really scared me um, just because... You know, it was hard for me to go, wait a minute, all of a sudden the 33-win team is going to beat one of the best statistical teams we've ever seen. Probably not. That's not the case. Um, are the Bucks actually easier to defend than people realize if you're locked in, playoff locked in? If you're playoff locked in, yeah, the blueprint, I think, is is an easier blueprint to, like, to, to, to construct, right? Like, because you want to take Giannis away. Right, you're gonna and but now can Bam do that? Bam out of bio is I mean no one's gonna shut all these guys. These guys get their points, but yeah, it's just messing up the offense. Really, yeah. The Heat, the Heat have done it uh, well. The Heat, the Heat and Bam have played him well this year. Like you've seen Toronto execute the game plan against them last year. Um, and so then what the, the question, Ryan, is like whether you know you can make enough shots to keep the defense honest because basically as a defense you're cheating at that point right because you're to your point bam's not stopping him it's bam and four sets of other eyes that are converging on bam and Giannis once he once he gets into whatever euro type of step or spin that he's going to use and if he's not getting points from chris middleton who hasn't looked like a true number two um or brooke lopez stretching the floor then then you can continue to execute that game plan okay speaking of of twos um I've had this Paul George theory for a while. I played yep. it again in this first round, 30-13. And that is, if he gets 30, I'm not surprised. If he gets 13, I'm not surprised. Did you know the difference between 24 scores where you knew a guy that would make a shot with like four minutes left up 10, he would also miss it a minute left, one possession game? Could you, and I'm sure there's going to be stat people to say, actually, there's no consistent pattern of all these different things. Let's ignore that. I'm just wondering, did you know as a guy that was primarily a defender did you know how guys were built differently where it's like your 20 points is not the same as this guy's 20 yeah, points? It's what, yeah, it's what separate. I mean, it's what separates like the, the great players. Do you have the, examples? The true number ones. Um, let me think, man. Uh, give me, give me somebody who give you 20. You were like, this guy, he may even average 17, but I'm way more scared of him. And then, you know, obviously I'm going to ask you for somebody who scores like 25. who didn't respect. So that's cool too. Yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> Off the top. Like, like, all right, Manu Ginobili. G- Ginobili, like, he'd get you 30 on any given night. But a lot of nights he didn't. He'd get you, like, you know, 18 or 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 17 and just play whatever role that, you know, he's running the point a lot of times out there with the second unit facilitating. But if if he had the ball late in the game, like, you're pretty sure he was going to do what, whether it was a bucket or collapsing defense and kicking it, he was going to make the right play. You were afraid of him late in the game. Yeah, Manu's a good one because yep. you don't – you'll never think of him as one of the all-time scorers, but he just was so different. What was it about his – was it angles with him? Because he always played so much bigger than he looked. Yeah, he was um, – The frustration on your face is so amazing right now. It's great, this. right? Like, I hate Manu Ginobili, and I love him. Like, I, lo- I love Manu, <laughs> but I hate him playing against Manu. Um, we shared an agent, too, which was even funnier. Uh, he he. It was angles because – you certainly knew you were trying to keep him off of his right hand, but it's, you know, James Harden, I have to imagine if you ask him, he's probably studied Manu. If you try to take something away, and I try to teach my young boys this, if someone's going to take away your right hand and they're going to shade you to the left, it's really just opening you up to get back to your right hand. You just have to know how to like create the angle so you've opened that right hand back up. Manu was a genius with that. And Manu had a, a, we call it like an ockiness to his game. Like it's a South Florida word. It was aki. It was just offbeat, right? Like it was kind of like an awkward kind of when you're zigging, I'm zagging. And it just was super frustrating because you get a beat on people. But Manu was always like left-footed when you're supposed to be right-footed and finishing off of a right foot when everyone else is on his left foot. It was just really aki like that. Yeah, the wrong foot stuff was like Nash was big on that. And now so many of these guards do it. They'll take off like a step before you think the next step's coming and then they're up and you're like, what the hell happened there? Um, I, that That's brutal. Um, I actually could go in a completely different direction, but let me let me hold this for a second <laughs> because we'll get back to it. We'll get back to the Bucks because 
I would imagine is Miami shown glimpses of this in the past where, and I, the, the most staggering uh, example of it was at least for me, Houston and Golden State when Houston was up, where they decided, hey, we're going to guard three with five. Like we're just going to, there's going to be two people that we ignore, and it's going to look ugly at times how open you are, but we're okay with that bet. Do you think that's the way to stop Milwaukee, where they're just people you're completely ignoring? Now, granted, substitution wise, maybe they figure some stuff out there, but I could see Miami aggressively doing something unorthodox there as a team defensively. I, I think that's the way you approach it. I'm a firm, I'm a firm believer in, um, I'm not if I can help it strategically not going to let your best player beat me like and if he does then i tip my hat but i'm i'm with you in that um i'm going to pick the 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 lesser of the five evils out there and let them try to try to win the game for milwaukee if i can control it the, the, the funny thing with that though ryan is like for a player um like a number five or a number six who's in the game you know avery used to play with me like this because avery avery johnson when he coached the mavericks knew you know, when I came up, I wasn't a confident shooter, right? Like, because he played with me on the Mavericks. And so they would almost dare me to shoot shots. And I was leading the league in like, I led the league in threes one year, but he was still daring me to make shots. And it played games with your psyche. Like, if you miss one, you know, it started to like, mm, oh, oh, shit. Like, you, and, and and that's the effect that it can have. That's why I'm, that's why I would roll the dice on that, right? Like, I'd roll the dice on me staying the course and knocking down seven threes to beat you. And by the way, I, I don't know that people remember this. You finished your career at just under 41% from three. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I get that a lot. Like, I get like, hey, man, you were a hella defender. I was like, I, I, I used to shoot it a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> hey, more with Raj in a second here. FanDuel Sportsbook NBA playoffs offer for all new customers is still running. Plus 2,000 on any team in the playoffs to make the NBA finals. It doesn't matter if it's the Bucks, Lakers, or Nets. Plus 2,000 on everyone. They don't even have to win. So again, just get to the finals. Don't miss out before it's too late. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, so they know that I sent you. Keep playing fantasy basketball during the playoffs with our Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest. There's a FanDuel contest every day that there are playoff games, a $5 entry fee per contest. If you win a contest, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA Finals where all winners will compete for a share of a $50,000 cash Ringer swag to be deemed the sole survivor of the ultimate hoops ringer there is still time to enter the contest for a chance to get into the leadership series during the finals what are you waiting for learn more and enter at fanduel.com forward slash hoops ringer age and location restrictions apply for the sports book must be 21 or older present in new jersey pennsylvania colorado west virginia or indiana new users only must wager on designated boost market max bonus 200 see full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Whoop is a fitness wearable that I've been using for the last few months to track my training, sleep, and recovery, and it's been awesome. The key to Whoop is that you wear it all day long and never miss a beat. They have a really smart charging system where their battery pack slides right on top of the strap so you never have to take it off to charge. You won't ever have to worry about losing a night of sleep or missing a workout. Whoop has been all over the news lately after the PGA Tour procured 1,000 straps for its golfers, caddies, and staff to help everyone at tournaments stay safe throughout the pandemic. Whoop has been using respiratory rate to help members detect potential signs of illness before other symptoms develop. With Whoop, you receive workout goals from its strain coach that pairs your recovery to a certain strain level. If your body is recovering, you're going to want to take a rest day, and if you're ready to go, it's going to tell you, and it's going to recommend you push it. It's the best, too, when you wake up. You're like, all right, today is an absolute push it day. Stop overtraining and start catering your workouts to your body's recovery. I know, just like a lot of you listening now, am I overtraining? Should I be worried? Whoop's going to let you know. Um, you can also track your stages of sleep down to the minute each morning. Check out how much REM or deep sleep you got from the previous night and actually understand how well you're sleeping. Had a good night last night. Looked at it, said, hey, that's cool. You know what was great about last night's sleep is I looked at my Whoop readout and it went, got to bed at this time. Lights out this time. It was like I was in the army. It was amazing. Do you ever think you'd do well in the army, Kyle? Yeah, when I was like a nice seventeen-year-old, but that was quickly. You wanted you uh, wanted the gear. I was like, well, yeah. screw it. I'll just I'm not going to school. I'll just join the army. And my parents were like, no. I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted. 
Yeah, the gear alone makes you think about that as you're a young kid. All right, back to uh, Whoop. Um, yeah, it helps you understand how you're sleeping, not just how many hours you were in bed for. Whoop custom tailors its sleep recommendations to each member based on their baselines and how active they were during the day. With Whoop, you're really getting a personal trainer on your wrist that helps you learn your body and make smarter lifestyle choices. For my listeners, Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Rosillo. That's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, two S's, two L's at checkout. Go to Whoop, that's Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Rosillo at checkout to save 50%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop. Can we talk a little bit about that 10-day, though, there with the Sixers? Because oh. to be on that team, um, give me your favorite memory of, of ending up on the team that goes up against the Lakers. And again, you won game one, so everybody, I remember being like, wait, no way. Right. And that Lakers squad was just ridiculous. And we're going... Is this Sixers team that's essentially built with like four guys watching Iverson going to take down this Lakers team? It was fantastic, man. I just remember. So my favorite part of that year was the interaction between Larry Brown and Allen Iverson. Like I just, it was, (laughs) it was, I now mind you, I've never really been the only organization that I had ever really been in for any extended period of time was the Spurs. And that was just through a whole preseason. So nobody in the Spurs camp, like there's a culture there. You, you, no one's bigger than the team. Everyone kind of buys in. He treats Timmy Duncan and David Robinson, and Greg Popovich. That is the same way he treat me who got cut. Um, well, I mean, you know, in and about, but Allen's yeah, close enough. Close enough. Right. <laughs> Allen's, uh, 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 relationship with Larry Brown was just a fascinating one to me, man. I just loved I've read I've read enough books to know that like AI just showed up whenever he wanted. I think there was a Detroit game. This is after you were gone. He showed up less than an hour before the tip. And I can understand that Larry isn't always the easiest guy to get along, but it appeared that Iverson was not real locked into whatever the pregame routine was for a long time. (laughs) Allen was a a just a gifted human being, man. Like I've said this before. Like he would sing and like jest, like messing around. And, you know, you'd be like, damn, dude, like if you really wanted to sing, you might be able to sing. Like, you know, he could he could dance. He could play basketball. Like, I don't think he practiced any of it. It was just, <laughs> I could do all of these things. I'm really good. I'm a, I'm good at stuff. Uh, but but uh, he, he came, <laughs> there was a flight. I think we were going to Toronto. Um, we have been, is it a regular season game? No, or is this, no, uh, no, no, no. This is playoff. This is the second round? So, okay. <clears throat> I believe he, yeah, because I'm looking at your game log now because I have a follow up here. Uh, I, I didn't mean to keep you for three hours today. No, it's, it's all good. This is great. This is one of my favorite stories. Okay. You asked for my favorite story. So we're we're sitting on there. It's like, you know, the usual suspects, you know, Aaron McKee and Eric Snow, and Ronnie Buford, Jermaine, Jermaine, uh, what's, what's Jermaine? Uh, Jermaine Jones, like Jim Jones. Yeah, we're all there hanging out, waiting to Kembe and Allen's not there. It's 20 minutes. And Larry Brown's like, we're leaving. And we're like, yeah, okay. So he goes back to the back of the, the plane, right? So now it's 40 minutes. Larry Brown comes back out. Has anybody talked to Allen? Nope, we can't get him. We're leaving. So he goes and he sits back down in the back. It's like an hour now. He comes back. Has anybody talked to Allen? So we've left three times, but we ain't budged. So finally, Allen comes onto the plane, like up to the front, uh, sits down. And, you know, Larry Brown comes like bopping up and kind of follows him. And he's like standing over him and, you know, AI looks up and he's like, like, what do you want, man? And he's like, you know, Larry mumbled something and, and Alan said, what you want me to do? You want me to apologize? You want me, you want me to get down and do some push-ups? And he drops down in the middle of the aisle and starts like repping up push-ups. And Larry Brown like looked at him like, what am I gonna do with this? He just turned his back and walked back and sat down, and then we went to Toronto. <laughs> he was repping out the apologetic push-ups, like right in the middle of the aisle. Cause I, you weren't. You weren't teammates with him long enough. I remember when, you know, all the trade rumor stuff was starting to happen with him where it was okay, you know, and this, he ended up being traded years after you were there mm-hmm. with him, but that there'd be a helicopter waiting for him from Trump. Like if there was any East Coast game, there'd be a, there'd be a Trump casino, some, some like AC deal where it'd be waiting for him and then everybody else would get on the team bus and then guys would get on the helicopter. He would get on the helicopter and be like, I'll see you guys. I'll see you guys at the Nets tomorrow. <laughs> I can't speak to that. I didn't see okay, any all right, never mind. I wasn't trying to make I, it I political, by I the way. Know. I'm just simply talking about the casino. No, I got you. Um, anyway, uh, did people that year in 01, were they like, how the fuck is this guy going from playing one minute a game 
to being in the actual rotation in the NBA Finals? Well, they had to be because I I was <laughs> like I was <laughs> most games I had a Snickers bar tucked into my tights because like I knew I was going to need like just just some food while I watched this amazing basketball and then he throw he just throws me in the game so I have to imagine the whole world was like who and who they who is this? What did you, like? Were you freaking out? So what? Yeah. So what happened was like we go through these series, right? You play seven, um, seven. Set where is it five, seven, and seven? We played every game you could play until we got to the finals. And along the way, you were seeing like Glenn Robinson and Ray Allen. Like those are two tough. Yeah, the matchups. first one back then was five. Right. It was yeah, right. You're Pacers, Toronto, Milwaukee, Lakers. So go you're ahead. you're playing two tough guards that are right kind of in my height wheelhouse. Like Glenn's a little too big. But the bottom line is we don't have enough real defenders. Like and, and we're not having the type of success night in and night out that Larry and the coaching staff is feel feel confident. So it starts with them just coming to me in practice saying, Can you guard him? And I'm like, Well, yeah, fuck it. I could guard him. And it, it, that that happens for like three and a half games and no one's buying that I can guard anybody. So they just keep coming to me and asking me. We get down in the Milwaukee sixth game by, I mean, you got it. We're probably down at one point in that game by like 25. And I think they make the call to like rest Allen, Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, and they throw myself and like, I forget who else, Jermaine Jones, and they throw us in. And we actually like, bring that thing back to where he subs the starters back into the game in the fourth quarter to try to make a run. We don't get over the hump, but I don't know what the hell I did in that game. I really don't, but I am like the second sub off the bench in game seven. And I'm telling you, I was surprised as the, the, the arena. Like I was like, what the fuck did he call my name? And it was like fight or flight. It's the best way to describe it. Like, I don't even know. I knew the plays. Cause I, I was always a guy who prided myself on knowing plays but I didn't really know what NBA basketball was about, let alone playoff basketball, let alone like conference finals basketball. I was just playing off straight adrenaline. Yeah, you guys were down 30 to 31 uh, in that game, and you ended up making a 10-point game. You guys scored 46 points in the fourth quarter of a 2001. With that team offensively to score 40, the Milwaukee must have quit. I Listen, well, they quit because we quit. Like, we cleared the bench, and they were like, okay, well... <laughs> This is a wrap. All right, let's get back to um, what we have going on yeah. with the playoffs now. Where are you with, uh, I don't know what level of concern, because we didn't talk about it. Did you have a level of concern? Where are you with the Lakers today? Yeah, I had a, a, a huge level of concern the way they were playing, <clears throat> coming coming out of this gate in the bubble. I, I think they figured it out, though. Um, you know, I hate to oversimplify. I, I, I hate doing this, but I do it every time I talk to kids, when I talk to my high school team. Like energy is is so important. Like you know this, you've seen enough basketball. It's an oversimplification, but the team that's like if you get two teams that are relatively equal, it's the team that's more locked in, more ready to go, hits first, is is consistent with that effort that that wins. The Lakers didn't seem to have that through a few games, so I was concerned. And then I they dialed in, they got smacked in the face, and I saw them start to tighten up. Um, I think LeBron got in some people's asses if I if I know LeBron the way I do, and you're starting to see a different product. I I can. I can feel confident in the Lakers again, I think. AD is somebody I defend all the time. Um, and because I feel good about defending him, by mm -hmm. the way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I like my track record. If I'm gonna defend some guys, I'm gonna defend guys like Anthony Davis. Can you be passive? Can you understand the game so well that you actually are passive? Because I think with him being passive at times, it's not because he's afraid. It just it's like his skill set is such, and LeBron even had to deal with this some some of the stuff. And look, it never really goes away until you win. But do you see him as someone that's a passive personality that you want more dog from, or do you see him as somebody that kind of understands the possessions? And a lot of times with him, it's him deferring when maybe we want him to force the issue. Um, <clears throat> I feel like you're going to look at me and just say yes to all. Yes, of that, I I definitely was like you read my mind. I was going to say it's a little bit of both, and ultimately. What I think AD needs to do is grow into the role that you're talking about. Like, I, I don't think that he has a problem with having dog in him. Like, I see him um, fired up. Um, I see him take over games at, at times when he needs to. I know, I know that's in him. Um, but there is a part of me, and I don't know AD, uh, that that is concerned with the the fact that he may be too concerned with teammates' feelings at times and stepping on those those toes when. 
you know, the ones that like carry their teams to championships, the ones they don't give a shit about like your feelings. You know what I mean? Like they, and so I just think he's got to grow into that role because, you know, and I think LeBron accepted that early in his career. I think LeBron struggled with like, um, being the biggest star in the world and still wanting people to kind of like him, like, or, or making the right basketball play all the time. Cause it's the right basketball play. But if you don't, if you don't have someone on the other end of that right basketball play to, to, to seal the deal, then it was the wrong basketball play. Do you know what I mean? So you, yeah, you, right. you got to grow into that role. That's like Kawhi's thing the other night where he got the steal and threw it to Reggie Jackson. And we saw the clip of Kawhi saying, I didn't steal that shit to pass. You know, like I didn't <laughs> right. give it up for you to do that shit, I think was his line. And, <laughs> and people were kind of like, wait, like Kawhi's been this amazing character because we thought he was the superstar that was fall in. You know, oh, Spurs way gets it. You're like, wait, he's pissed and walks yeah, out? Like, right. I, thought that, right. I thought that was for the other guys. And then, I mean, it's been, as we slowly, like, it feels like we learn something about Kawhi once every three years. It's a much slower pace than some of the other guys. But do you have any insight on him? Because it's he still seems like a mythological creature. I don't. I don't. I don't know him. Um, I've never worked with him. What I will say to him, though, is kind of like, I think his personality lends itself to being the guy that we just talked about. Like he, he's not like hanging out with eight guys everywhere he goes. Like, you know, there's some people like me, I could be by myself. Me, I go to a movie by myself. I got a problem with that. Like, you know, like, so if I got to tell you like something that offends you, it's not a big deal because I, I, I just assume be by myself anyway. I think he's wired like that a little bit where like you, you don't ever see him out with a bunch of people. He's a homebody. It seems like, um, he's uber competitive. And so it, it, that personality characteristic lends itself to like, look, man, like if you're, if you're not going to like help me get this done, or if you can't help me get this done, then I'm going to get this done. And if you feel some kind of way about it, sorry. Okay. We understand the Luca part. It's been nuts. You probably already talked about it. I, I feel like Bill and I did an hour on him the other day. So I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell with you because Donovan Mitchell, if he were in his first playoffs ever, we'd be probably just as excited about him as we are Luca. but that's just how it works. Hey, he wins that series against Oklahoma City, then it feels like the team's a bit of a disappointment, and he's on this amazing run. And by the way, shout out to Jamal Murray as well because of game one and then game five. Mm -hmm. But let's let's play this game. Um, who would you rather have? Would you rather have... I'm trying to think where I could put Mitchell. I want to see how high you have Mitchell as far as like other scores. Do you like him better than Jamal Murray? Yes, close, but yes, close, but yes. I think he's more. I think he's. I think he's more physical than Jamal Murray. I don't think there's any debate. Yeah, on that one. yeah. So I'll take a more physical score. Jamal Murray complains a lot. Jam Have you notice that? Yeah, he, he he's awesome. He's got he's a slight slight complainer, but Chip, I, I'm okay with it because it looks like he wears a chip on his shoulder. So I think they kind of go hand in hand at times. Super gifted though, like he's he ain't, he's not that far behind. He's in that same class, but I'm gonna take Donovan Mitchell slightly over. Quick complainer top five. I'm going to give you LeBron. <laughs> I'm going to give you Harden. All right. <laughs> I think Luca is sneaky. Like he complains. Oh, we just haven't seen it for 10 years. Uh, let me think who else. Oh, Lowry. Lowry complains nonstop. Yeah. Would you want to fight Lowry if you had to put up with that bullshit? I think Kyle and I would fight. I, I, I like Kyle. Like, Kyle and I are buddies. Like, I know Kyle since back when I was with the Sixers and he was at Villanova. But his style and my style would, like, naturally, it would come to a head. <laughs> I don't understand how people don't understand why I get so frustrated watching it. And then, I mean, was it Justin Anderson? People were like, who? Right. Tweeting out, have more integrity for the game. I was like, I want to vote this guy president. <laughs> Like that's that's my guy. If your platforms that Kyle Lowry needs to respect the game more, then then you have my vote. Um, all right. Anybody else you want to add to your top five complainers? No, or at least mine. No, here? but what I want to say about that is the league. The league creates that because when, you're right. When you it's their fault. It's their fault. Like when you're gonna just get calls and I'm look when you when you're when you're going to the free throw line a certain amount of times a game and you're used to getting away with it and you don't get it, you're gonna complain. That's what happens. The, uh, the one that I can't believe is people think now that if you drive to the hoop and there's a slight glancing of a jersey across your shoulder or forehead, that that's an and one. Yeah. And you're like, no, the the, and, the foul was supposed to be an impediment of you actually scoring, not 
Not that there was actual contact. And you'll see guys like tap something and you go, is that because you were touched? Right. You were touched and you think that that's a foul? I know you have my back on this. I, one. I do. It's it's supposed to, the, the language is advantage gained, right? Like if there's an advantage gained, then <laughs> then there's supposed to be some kind of foul. Like if we're not talking about advantage gained in one way or the other, play ball. Yeah, this isn't, did a did an arm or a shoulder hair touch me right. and I could feel the sweat? <laughs> right. Okay. Lillard or Mitchell? That was the one. Dame. That was no. from my father. It's Dame. 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 Oh, dismissive, actually. I, I, yeah, I, 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 range, range, like, cause we talk. Range, to, range is what kills it. Range for, is what kills for Mitchell. It. You're right. Yeah, range. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not arguing Mitchell. I just think it's a little closer than, like, cause there's this Dame push and then you go, wait a minute, why, why is it like absurd to even suggest? But then the range, you look at those numbers, 40% from beyond 30 feet. It is, it, it, it is interesting though, because Donovan's again, way more physical um and able to kind of is he a good defender yet donovan mitchell yeah I, I, you know what i loved about him i i think he's serviceable right now maybe above uh, average i don't know that he's a, a really good defender but what i loved about it was like down the stretch in that game he took jamal murray like he was like i i'm guarding that and i didn't see that from jamal back like jamal did not want any smoke on the defensive end but uh donovan mitchell took the onus upon himself and he got he got torch pretty good but i like that style and if you have that mentality you can be a really good defender yeah i i think because they wanted to put grant on mitchell and that didn't really matter because they were setting the screen out so high let me gosh i feel like i i'm gonna let you go here in a couple minutes we'll have to do this again it's all good but what do you do i think i understand what it is but take me through the the dame high screen and they set it further and further away and then you have to extend because i think a lot of us go oh you know the the big drop you know that's a problem i've seen other teams where like with harden and oklahoma city it's two with harden all the time off of whatever action and they left him there was one play i saw where two went with jeff green and no one went to harden and you're like that has to be the time where a coach loses his mind right but what do you do as the perimeter guy if you're on dame how do you try to navigate in the adjustments of as they extend that screen further and further up to get Dame coming off in either direction with just a wide open look? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> that that's tough. First of all, playing defense against Dame or any good guard and pick and roll, like you're as good as the communication from your big, right? Because you, you, he's really got to be. You can't see where that screen's coming from. You can't see how fast it is. Like you can't really see its proximity to you till it gets in your peripheral. So you have to be being talked to the entire time, like letting you know where it's coming from. Um, you would think naturally the way you're taught to play is as that screen extends um, in the, in the old in days, like you're going to slip under that screen. Right. right. Um, <laughs> and because he's not going to shoot it from half court while well, now he does. <laughs> so, so like what, what I would, what I would do is, is first and foremost, first rule of playing pick and roll defense is, is force him to the screen. I'm, D-, D Wade was great at this. Like, don't ever let a good guard reject the screen. Like, don't get caught leaning um, and trying to cheat over that screen before it comes because it's a reject. You got no defense on the other side, and now you're on his on his back too. So force him to the screen. Um, and I always like to teach or talk about like changing my level as the defender. So if I'm if I'm fully up and engaged, like in Dame's pocket when the screen comes then I know that screen is trying to headhunt me. I might try to slip under it at the last minute because he's gauging me attached to where Dame is, right? Um, if I want to go over that screen and that's the way we're going to play it because I have a big up and in a corral or a soft trapping situation, then I'm going to play off of Dame enough to where he can't like pull up in my face, but not really up in his bread basket because that level of screen is going to be set like three feet away. And at the last minute, I can try to crawl up into his body and then get over the screen. But... If you're going to pull me away from the basket, Ryan, like I, I told you about Giannis, um, I'm not switching that because I'm not letting a big have to dance with Damian Lillard like 40 feet from the basket. I, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, and I can't drop my big back to where he can pull up in his sweet spot. So I, you've almost forced my hand as a defense. I'm trapping that. And I'm going to trap it early. The not switching back, though, is something that I think a lot of us on the outside get wrong where and we saw it with some of the Doncic plays, not so much the game winner. There was another one before where you're like, why do you invite yourself into these switches 
It happened at Golden State a lot in the 16 finals and they blew the 3-1 lead. They just would get into bad switches and it would look like they'd have time. I think against a guy like LeBron, you don't want to do something where you go, hey, we're in a bad switch. Okay, hey, let's communicate. Do you want to switch back? Okay, cool, because then he's just going to absolutely torch you as you're trying to make that in-between decision. But are there more opportunities to maybe fight to get the switch back? Or is everybody afraid to do that? Like, what seems to be a rule on that? Because at least just from watching... It appears that like seems to be the last thing anybody ever wants to do, and I think I know that answer, but I'm sure yours is much better than mine. Well, I, I think a switchback has to be off the ball, right? Because like you, you can't like leave the ball handler to to facilitate. That's it. Like, That's the switch. answer. You can't leave him, right? So you right. what what you can do, and like good teams do, is they pre-switch the screener. So like yeah. Let's say I've got the Celtics do it a lot. Yeah. So now the person that's running up with the big isn't a big. It's more of a, a rangy wing defender who can switch and more naturally keep the ball handler in front. And now what'll happen is when the big goes to roll the point guard, we will just bump him off. So that big is waiting down low. And and the guard who is now on the big will just run out to a perimeter player. The big picks up the big roll into the basket, and we've pre-switched into a switch you can't do it once once you've got a big hand uh, like on a ball handler it's you're you're cooked cooked yeah cooked. okay last one and then we're gonna have you on again soon i may do like a prepped i feel like this interview turned into a guy running into you at a bar in philly after seven <laughs> years where he just he just started like randomly screaming questions at you the whole time that's so you I'll just uh, describe my my like my <laughs> dream night let's do it i'll tighten it up next time <laughs> Would your Sixers 2001, and I look, I get their AI Sixers, so I don't want anybody yes. blaming Raja for taking credit, <laughs> but would that, would that squad beat any of the top four playoff teams in the East this year? No. It's such a no. No. It's not it's like, I didn't even have to think about that. It's no. <laughs> you That's all, did that, not that, get your NBA, no. you didn't get your NBA vet playbook. How, how did you say <laughs> Because I was looking at it again because I was looking at the game log and I go, I don't know if this team would score 80 fucking points. That's um, it. Against. That's it. You can't score. We don't. We, there's not enough firepower. Like you can't. You're not going to manufacture enough points to to like AI was going to do AI things. But then where were your other 50 points coming from I don't, or 60 points coming from? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a hard, like not even debatable. No. Maybe I pick against the Pacers. Yeah, if you got down to like five to ten, like we talk, but those top four, I just I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's happening. I love your honesty. Uh, that is Raja Bell. He's a great addition to what we're doing here, and uh, hopefully, I can uh, have you on again real t real soon, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, bro. Okay, life advice on deck. That was great with Roger Bell. Please check out his podcast with Logan Murdoch again on Mondays. When it comes to scoring great hires for your business, yeah, ZipRecruiter back in the mix. What's up, ZipRecruiter? I hope that who was that guy who was running the coffee shop? Is that Miss Noah? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Menkovich. Miskovich? Miskovitz. Doug Miskowitz. Doug Mankowitz. Well, I hope he's great. Anyway, back to ZipRecruiter. When it comes to scoring great hires for your business, you may be up against some obstacles like lots of applicants, but difficulty finding the right ones for your job or finding time to hire while running your business, plus trying to ensure workplace safety. That's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. No matter the industry, healthcare, to manufacturing, to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. First, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. So there you go, boom, send it in done. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles for you to find people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. In fact, check out this stat. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help you win the hiring game. To try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. That's R-Y-E-N Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, let's life advice here. We've got a few to get to. Um, we got one here right off the top. This is a new one. 
um, from Wes, not Wes Anderson, or I'd probably be emailing him. All right. He started a graduate program. Kind of braggy. At the beginning of August, the girl within the program has quickly caught my eye. The only problem is the entirety of the program this semester is distance due to COVID. Heard of it. Despite the fact that we're all across the country, we've all managed to become fairly close over the past month. I consider a lot of these people to be friends of mine. Uh, For one of our classes, we were split into groups, and she and I ended up in the same group. Uh Uh-oh. This led to me eventually sliding into her Instagram DMs, which led to a short conversation that fizzled out pretty quickly. I'm not sure if there's a fact that I'm living with my parents and basically not had any amorous contact with females for the past six months or if I'm generally interested in this girl. Oh, okay. Yeah, we call this the conveyor belt theory. I had a buddy who spent a winter working at a family's company or something like that, and he spent the entire winter break um, putting stuff in boxes. Like he, he was on the conveyor belt and for eight-hour shifts with gloves, hat, and just put the stuff in the box and then send it on its way. And then towards the end of the break, he started saying how attracted he was to this woman who worked on the conveyor belt with him. And we're like, do you think it's her or do you think it's that you've been working on the conveyor belt the whole time? So that's conveyor belt theory. Feel free to steal that one. And then once we got him back to college, we kind of sobered him up, not from any substance abuse, but just sobered him up to, he was like, my God, what was happening to me there? We're like, Hey man, you work in a conveyor belt eight hours a day for like four straight weeks. That's what happens. Okay. Uh, so slid into the DMS led to short conversation that fizzled out pretty quickly. I don't need to read anymore. She doesn't like you. If she liked you, guess what she would do? She would keep talking to you. All right. Now, a lot of guys make this mistake. I've made it as well. She might have a boyfriend, dude. Maybe she's being totally respectful to the situation that's happened. Although sometimes you're just like, why can't you just say, hey, I have a boyfriend instead of this, this like, odd i can't even tell you that deal or they don't want to tell you that because they don't want to keep you they don't want to lose you from being in the mix so that's maybe a positive but i just i'll keep reading his email here but i already know the answer i'd like to know if either of you uh, kyle feel free to jump in how can i go about the typical process of showing a girl i'm interested in getting her interested in me i kind of feel uh like i'm taking the gym from the office route well then you're going to be headed to hell because she's just going to toy with your emotions for about seven seasons and then be super fucking annoying. Um, should I just play it cool and talk to her and even the chance comes up or should I try to make a serious play now? I, you know, look, she's already kind of decided who you're going to be. That's what you need to get. So you can try the tough guy move where it's like, hey, I'm into you and I want you to be into me. <laughs> All right. I remember one of the very serious girlfriends that I had, I was getting friend zoned real quick and I went, Hey, just so you know, I'm not here to be your friend. And it worked. And I was like, I'm the man. And I told people, I was like, it worked. I just said straight up. And she said, when you said that, I was like, Oh my God, it's also not worked. Okay. (laughs) So, um, it, it everybody's different and I, and I know that's a very similar thing but i just when you say that you dm'd her and then the conversation fizzled out pretty quickly a very close female friend of mine and we were talking about this and she's married so it wasn't like that it wasn't friend zone she wasn't even an option but we were just kind of laughing about how simple all of this can be if you text somebody and they don't text you back it probably means they don't want to text you back that's it. I mean, unless the person's running a Fortune 500 company and they're super busy and you're on one of the bat phones, you know, there are the, the rare exceptions. But for the most part, if you show interest in someone and they don't show interest back, it means they're not interested. I know that sounds insane that I have to keep saying it slowly, but I'm not. And look, I'm not big on, you know, six month courtship. You know, efficiency here. I'm not going to dribble out the clock. Let's go. No? All right. Moving on. So maybe this isn't great advice, but I just, for men or women that consistently try to feel like, what's he thinking? What's he doing? If he's not texting you back, if she's not texting you back, if she doesn't seem to want to ever engage the conversation, is the conversation always you first? It's never her first? That's kind of your answer. So, all right. One quick one. Rob Jordan. 
I don't think I'm supposed to say his name, but maybe, you know what? You know what? We should just leave it in there. We should leave it in there because this is a problem. And maybe this gets out into the mix. Maybe I save the friend group by even exposing this. I don't know. I'm on the fence. Where are you with this, Kyle? Should we just bleep out his last name? Let's see how it plays out, I guess. I don't I don't know what's going on. Okay. Here. All right, because he has a good email, and it's a problem. Big fan since the SVP. It helped, uh, helped speed up a couple hours during the uh, shit jobs during college breaks. Okay, thanks. All right. Okay, we're his friend group. We're around 30. I'll have good jobs. My buddy, we'll call him Bill. Bill Simmons makes the most money. Ooh, wait. No debt and is annoyingly cheap. Not Bill Simmons. Okay. All right. Bill is not cheap. Okay. So here's the deal. All right. So he's got a friend. Bill makes the most money. No debt is annoyingly cheap. Great dude. Been friends forever. Fun, hilarious. Have your back, but cheap as hell. Went out to dinner. He'll put dinner on his card to get the points and will Venmo split the bill or whatever. And he'll tip like five, 10%. All right. Stop the fucking presses here. Uh, he puts his card down to get all the points, and then you Venmo him, so none of you guys get any points, and then he tips 5 to 10%. This guy sucks. Sucks. So Rob continues, as a former service industry person, this pisses me off. You can sense my tone. I'm also pissed off. Another example, another friend and I will buy a round of drinks at a bar pre-COVID, obviously. Um whatever people want, then he'll buy a round of the cheapest shit beer that they have that no one wants and think it's even. Go on and on at times where he's made out well and stuck paying and get screwed. A few of us have talked about it, but have never approached him. Do we? Is it worth it? Are we dumb for caring? No, you're not dumb for caring. Uh, I, I, I'm 100% with you. I've never been more with anyone who's ever emailed anything to anyone else. This is awful. Uh, we, we had somebody in the group that did do this. His move used to be if we were ordering pizzas, be like, hey, do you want to order for pizza? Nope, I don't. Okay, fine. We'd order pizza, we'd pay, and then you do that thing where after a couple slices, you sit back on the couch, and you kind of take a breath, maybe loosen up the belt strap and get ready for round two, and he'd be like, are you guys done? He'd be like, are you an asshole? Are you serious? We just asked if you wanted to order, and basically you just waited until we took a breath, and then he would wait, he would wait after round two and three and be like, are you guys done? You're probably going to throw that away. I remember another time there was bottle service, I think, where at the end of the night, and I've, I've mentioned this in, in passing, but it's not as specific as this, where he was bragging to the other guys, be like, I didn't spend any money last night. We're like, well, someone did. It, you know who that was? Us. We spent the money. That's why our credit card bill sucks right now. So what? what is this contest? This isn't Survivor, okay? This is supposed to be friendship. So this is a, I would have everybody get right in his face. Don't be nice about it. And if he's not your friend anymore, I think you're okay with it because that's it's such a shitty attribute to have as a person to not only be cheap, but you're not you're not just being cheap to servers. You're not just being cheap to the rest of the world. You're actually like getting over on your friends and you think it's cool. We had another roommate who used to do this thing where if we didn't really buy rounds in college, everybody was sort of a mercenary doing their own thing anyway. But um, if we did ever buy rounds, it would. It would be like, all right, I got to write. It just all felt like it was even. These are your best friends. You're living with them for a year. Okay, so maybe somebody's up at the end of the night and somebody's down. It'll probably even out. Maybe there's a guy that always likes to pay. I, for over the years, have always been a pay guy. I think it's because of the bartending. It's because I want people to have a good time. I've paid. I got accused of being cheap, I think, once. And I, I, was, that was, like, <laughs> I was so offended because of the years of me, I think, being a great tipper because I bartended. All right. Bartenders generally tip too much to the point where it's like, oh, hey, I got hooked up. And it's like, yeah, it actually cost me more because I paid the bartender tax. But um, we had a guy who who would be like, hey, I bought a round. I'd be like, that's great. I'll, you know, print up a fucking shirt, man. Be like, no, you still owe me a round. I'd be like, what? Be like, well, I bought a remember when I bought the Coors lights and then you didn't pay and you just go, I, you know what? In the future, leave me out of your rounds. Then, if this is the if this is the deal, if this is international trade, I would like to be left out in the future. So, yeah, I'm upset, Rob. I'm upset for you. I'm upset for your friends. I'm upset that you have to to make excuses to somebody who's been a lifelong friend that thinks it's okay getting over on you guys this much. That credit card point thing that would happen zero times with my group, zero times. So, you know. The next email, the next life advice, Rob. Yeah, the next one's going to be get a backbone. It's not going to be about tipping. 
Have a great weekend, everybody. First, everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get crashed. People could get hurt or killed, but that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Ryan Rosillo podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. And as the Ringer Podcast Network continues to grow, Go in and sample some of the other stuff that's in there. Uh, this has been an unbelievable couple months in, in what the company's been able to put together. And uh, I'm really proud of it. So check it out. All right, Kyle. Until Sunday. Until Sunday.